You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. This message series entitled Thrive, we've been looking at how we can truly thrive and work for the best in all of our relationships. And although we're seeking to make application for marriage and family, we don't want to limit our discussion to simply family relationships. So we're hoping as you listen and process these messages that you'll be making application to extended family, to uh, friends at school, to neighbors, to church, school, work relationships. And this weekend, we're examining uh, those difficult and even at times toxic relationships. Now, throughout this series, we've been uh, looking at the personal relationships from the life of a fascinating character recorded in the Bible, a guy named David. We commonly refer to him as King David because he was probably the most famous king in Israel's history. And this weekend, we're going to look at two of David's most difficult relationships. The first was with his predecessor, the first king of Israel, a guy named Saul. Now, if you're taking notes, as we examine this relationship, we would describe it uh, probably most accurately as David and the raging madman, okay? And that's probably the best way to describe Saul, especially in the text that we're going to be reading from today. Now, if you were here last week, we examined in 1 Samuel an extremely healthy relationship between David and a guy named Jonathan. In many ways, it's a model relationship for what friends should be all about. Now, Jonathan just happened to be the son of King Saul. And in the same chapter that last week we looked at, in 1 Samuel 18, where we looked at this friend for the ages, uh, we're going to look at the opposite of that, an extremely unhealthy, difficult relationship that truly became toxic. Now, this is described in 1 Samuel 18, verse 5. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home, this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with 10,000s and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. So here we see as the Bible unfolds this relationship, we see the root of this very unhealthy relationship. It was rooted in jealousy, bitterness, competitiveness, and I would dare say deep insecurity. Yet as we continue to read, we see that there's some other factors at work. In verse 10, we read the very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul. And he began to rave in his house 
like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall, but David escaped him twice. Now, just a, just a note to comment on the commendable attitude of David and really a persevering attitude. Uh, I mean, I'm struck the fact that he was almost pinned against the wall twice. I mean, it would only take once for me to get out of Dodge, okay? But I mean, David is that persevering, enduring, faithful servant, and he sticks around even after the first time. But the second time, he, uh, he does seek help. Now, although we sometimes overuse the word toxic, you know, there's certain words I think that we can sometimes overused. One of those words that I bristle sometimes with is when the, the word awesome is used, you know, about everything. You know, now I'll use the word awesome, but, but I try to reserve it for that which is truly awesome, like God, okay? Uh, but, you know, sometimes over here, uh, kids talk about, this was an awesome peanut butter sandwich. Really? I mean, was it awesome? I mean, uh, but... But, you know, I think sometimes we can throw that word toxic around too. And, and yet, I believe that this relationship truly qualifies as a toxic relationship. It's a relationship which one person is trying to bully or control through intimidation. Where a relationship where someone is verbally or physically threatening or seeking to injure, possibly even kill. I believe, yes, Saul and David's relationship would qualify as a toxic relationship. You see, healthy relationships don't seek to intimidate one another. Healthy relationships aren't there for one person to bully the other. That's unhealthy, and it needs to be called out. We also get the clear indication in verse 10 that there's something else at work here. We're told that Saul has a tormenting spirit or evil, harmful spirit, as other translations of the Bible describe it here. Now, I'm not sure exactly all that's encompassed in that phrase. I read what some commentators had to say about it. There's various theories of how to best read this text. You might have an opinion, and maybe we could talk about it later. And yet, I think it would be safe to say today that that Saul would be described as, we've entitled this section, as a a raging madman. Today, we would probably describe him as having a mental health issue or possibly a personality disorder, a destructive addiction, or possibly that he was just certifiably insane. Now, as we see, following this outburst of rage, Saul then seems to change tactics, which again shows how unstable he is. Because then he turns around and rewards David. How do you make sense of that? In verse 12, we read, Saul was then afraid of David, for the Lord was with David and had turned away from Saul. Finally, Saul sent him away and appointed him commander over a thousand men. And David faithfully led his troops into battle. 
It appears that sometimes David would have to deal with and see angry Saul. And then sometimes he would see kind, considerate Saul. You can feel for David as undoubtedly he was trying to make sense of this unhealthy, toxic relationship. Possibly you can relate. Possibly you're in a relationship with someone in your family or at school or at work that you really never know what you're going to experience next in that relationship. Maybe even you find yourself wrestling with who's going to show up today. I mean, from David's perspective, was it going to be angry Saul that was going to show up today? And was David going to have to just walk on eggshells all day long because, well, you know, Saul's in a bad mood. Saul's angry today. Or would it be happy Saul, kind Saul, where it was bad, you know, real good or maybe at least better than angry Saul? Maybe some of you can relate to being in a relationship with someone where you're not quite sure who's going to show up that day. Now, throughout this series, we've tried to avoid the two extremes that we typically fall into when it comes to relationships. You see, we tend to either live in a fantasy world of happily ever after that we long for, or we fall into the pit of despair, which could easily be described as noble misery. We talked about that the first week of this series, and that's a theory and a position that's put out by this book that I've quoted throughout this series. Now, in the happily ever after fantasy, we're tempted to think if we could just find the right frog to kiss the other person, that maybe they would turn into Prince Charming or Princess Charming. Or possibly we've bought into the lie that the other person's behavior is in some way our fault. That if we could just change and be that spouse or that friend or that son or daughter, that this person in our life that we never quite know who's going to show up, that if we could just be more perfect, that then they would be happy and everything would be okay. Or maybe down deep, we really know the other person has a problem. But then maybe in that we find, think if we could just find the perfect relationship strategy or if, if that other person could just read the right book or hear the right message that possibly they would see their faults and fall on their knees acknowledging they're wrong. And then we could experience this future fantasy world with no conflict or pain. Can you relate to that merry-go-round, roller coaster type of life, type of relationship? Now, the other extreme is to know that deep down the other person has a problem. And yet, instead of having real hope, you simply settle for an existence of noble misery. This is the individual who acknowledges that the relationship is broken and yet thinks that this is their lot in life. And that they're called on to simply suffer as a martyr. Now, during this series of messages, we're hoping to put forth a third and better option. And that is to resolve to thrive personally despite the attitude and behavior of the other. 
This is exactly what we see in David's life. Despite this difficult relationship that he was having to endure, in verse 14 we read, David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. There's that word with again. The Lord was with him. When Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of David. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful at leading his troops into battle. I love the inspiration from David's life and relationships. Although he was not a perfect man, as we recognized two weeks ago when we looked at how David was a fallen individual, just like we all are. And yet he still did thrive in life in spite of some of the challenges that he faced. He appeared to face the reality and and he placed healthy boundaries in his life to protect himself from toxic people and toxic relationships. And yet he continued to follow God's plan for his life and he personally thrived in the midst of challenge. And we're simply told that the Lord was with him. I love that reminder. Now, as we conclude this chapter in 1 Samuel 18, we see that in reality, Saul never changed. Even though we long, and I believe God longs with all of his heart for people to change, I believe that's God's will and God's desire for people to change. But the truth of it is, some people won't change. We see that in history. We see that In the Bible, we see that with this tragic character, Saul. Now, as we continue to read in Samuel 18, we we never see any indication that there's a change. In verse 28, as the chapter concludes, when Saul realized that the Lord was with David and how much his daughter, Michael, David's first wife, loved him, Saul became even more afraid of him. And he remained David's enemy for for the rest of his life. What a sad, tragic character. In the next chapter, we're told that Saul continues to harm and even plans to kill David. And yet, with the help of his good friend, Jonathan, Saul's son, and others, David escapes from this top toxic relationship. In the remainder of 1 Samuel, we see that, that David seeks safe boundaries to protect himself from toxic this toxicity that he'd experienced with Saul. Now, for those of you who have experienced this in your life, for those of you who have experienced this at work or in school relationships, possibly for you, maybe what you need to hear this weekend is that possibly the best thing for you to do is to seek a different friend group. I think that's important for for young people. When you've gotten into one group that just ends up being toxic, maybe the best thing for you is just to seek out another group of friends that are healthier and have a positive influence in your life. For work, I know at one point in my life when I was in education as a teacher, I was working in a school system that with the administration, it was just toxic. And um, so I, I sought a transfer. And it was amazing. Same school system, transferred to another school the next year. It was so much healthier. I was able just to breathe freer. 
and enjoy teaching again. Maybe some of you are in that kind of work situation. Maybe it's time to pray and seek God's lead. Maybe, maybe it's time for you to make a switch. I know in ministry, the church I worked with for eight years in Indianapolis before moving here, there was a time where I had some really good times there, but then there was one season. It was kind of an interesting dynamic. I was the associate minister for eight years at this church, and I had three different senior ministers, okay? So that was kind of odd. Uh, and, and so uh, one was pretty good, and then the first one, and then the second one, it was, it was tough. And later I looked back on it. I think there was some insecurity going on in his life, and, and over time, it seemed like instead of him addressing some things he needed to change in his life and his leadership, anytime there was a problem in the church, he would blame me. And he would, he would look to me and say, well, it's because of what you did or it's because of what you said. And, and after a while, I began to feel like I was the problem in the church. And I loved that church and it broke my heart. And I, and I was really considering getting out of ministry because I thought, man, you know, if I'm the problem, I need to get out of the way. And I started praying for God to intervene, and, you know, God did, and he moved on. And, and God brought another senior minister to work with our church there. And, and, you know, over time, he observed me for two or three months, and then he said, you know what, Roger? He said, he said, I want you to recognize something. He says, you're not the problem. He said, you're the solution for the problem. And that breathed life back into my heart. It breathed vision back into me serving in ministry, and I was like, thank you, God. And that's a big reason why I'm in ministry today, because God freed me from what had become a very toxic relationship. There's a book by Gene Edwards entitled The Tale of Three Kings, describing Saul, David, and the third character we're going to look at today. I would describe that period of my life as the tale of two bosses, okay? Now, this is this is possibly the case for us if we're at school in a bad friend group or if we're at work in a bad situation. But it's more difficult if the toxic person in our life is a parent or a spouse or a sibling. You see, we can't transfer from that relationship, but maybe we still need to seek good counsel on how to find safe boundaries And how to interact with that family member in such a way that it won't be toxic. For those of you who find yourself in a toxic marriage relationship, then I hope the following words from this marriage book I've referenced throughout this series, a book about thriving despite difficult relationships, will speak to you. The authors write, we realize those with a non-difficult, spou- uh, non-difficult spouses must think that few people really have dangerous spouses. But please understand that many good godly people have dangerous spouses who've caused them to question their sanity and worth. If you're married to a dangerous spouse, you must find a way to shield yourself from his or her destructive words and behavior. They go on to write, Proverbs 4 instructs us to guard our hearts because they are vulnerable to all sorts of evil, especially a dangerous spouse. I love Proverbs 4 verse 23, above all else, guard your heart 
for everything you do flows from it. Now, next week, we're going to look at the healing that can come from those who guard their heart, set up healthy boundaries, and seek God's help in this whole challenge of relationships. And yet today, let's notice that in the midst of the confusion, the pain, and the heartache that David experienced due to the toxic relationship with his boss, the king of Israel, that he protected his heart. As we keep reading in 1 Samuel and and then in the Psalms that David wrote, and he wrote a number of Psalms during this time period, we learn that in the midst of the chaos and insanity in his life, that David was able to personally thrive because he learned to turn to the Lord, the one who could bring healing to his heart. So this second section, which is brief but important, is entitled, David and the Heart Healer. Listen to these words that David wrote as he was running from Saul. In Psalm 34, verse 17, the Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. This was a psalm that David wrote and experienced as he finds himself in a dangerous, scary time of life. Honestly, this is a Bible passage that I've turned to often in my life. In the midst of confusion, grief, heartache, and personal pain. In fact, this week I turned to this passage once again as I had to deal with, as I know all of us had to deal with, the tragic news of the senseless shooting in Parkland, Florida. Like so many of you, I had difficulty getting my mind wrapped around the pain that was caused by the evil actions of a murderous rampage in a public school building. As my wife and I watched the news and we watched students from that school being interviewed, we both wept. As a former student, as a parent of three kids, as a former public school teacher, it's truly tragic. And the only comfort and solace I can find in the midst of such sadness is that the Lord hears his people that the Lord is near the brokenhearted. And so I want to ask you this weekend, will you join me in praying for the parents, family, and friends of those who lost children, family members, or friends this past weekend? Or the previous, or past week, or the previous weekend in Westerville, Ohio, when those two police officers were killed? Will you join me in praying for those family members and the people that are reeling with pain as a result of these tragic cases? Will you join me in praying for our local schools, for our teachers, for our administrators, for students and for children to be safe and protected from evil? Will you join me in praying for our government leaders and first responders to wisely govern 
and to appropriately respond to the dangers of the evil in our world. And will you join me in praying and trying to impress upon those who are present today and for all the children and the students here and for all those who maybe find themselves in an unhealthy relationship that the real answer, the only real answer in our culture or in any culture is for us to turn to the only one who can truly save, the only one that can truly protect and truly rescue us from the evil in this world. The one who is on record of saying that he will hear those who call upon him to help and that he is near the brokenhearted. I hope you'll join me in praying that prayer. That's, those have been my prayers. Even this morning before I left home, I got back down on my knees and prayed through those specific requests I ask you to pray about because my heart's broken. And I know we live in a broken world, and God's the only one that can bring healing. Finally, our last relationship we want to look at this weekend is an unhealthy relationship that developed much later in David's life. And it actually came from a very unexpected source. And these are, these are the kind of relationships that are sometimes the most difficult ones to deal with. You see, a toxic relationship can sometimes emerge from a very unexpected person. So let's read about this tragic relationship that David experienced with one of his sons, his son Absalom. And we're going to describe this section as David and the backstabber. Have you ever had a trusted family member or friend turn on you in an unexpected way? I have. My hunch is most of you have as well. And this was the case of David and his friend Absalom. As we're introduced to Absalom, we read this. Now, Absalom was praised as the most handsome man in all Israel. He was flawless from hand to foot, head to foot. I find it interesting that this was the way Saul was described too when we're first introduced to him. You see, sometimes looks can be deceiving. Wouldn't it be easier if evil always showed up with this being, this, being uh, generated from a, a little guy in a red suit with a pointy tail and a pitchfork? Wouldn't it be so much easier if, if evil was always so obvious to be able to discern, okay, oh, this is evil, that's Satan. You see, the truth of it is it's rarely is evil so obvious. And as we read in the next chapter, the pain that eventually came from this backstabbing was very subtle and it was carefully described. In 2 Samuel 15, we find that Absalom is seeking to undermine David's leadership by deceptively reaching out to the people of Israel, building his case that they should look to him to be the leader. In 2 Samuel 15, verse 3, it says, Then Absalom would say, You've really got a strong case. So when people would come to the palace or they'd come to the temple, they, they wanted to hear from David, Absalom would meet him there in Jerusalem and he'd say, you've really got a strong case here. It's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. I wish I were the judge. Then everyone could bring their case to me for judgment and I would give them justice. When people tried to bow before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and kissed them. 
Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment, and he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. Do you see what Absalom is doing in his cunningness? He's stealing the hearts of the people of Israel, trying to build his own kingdom. And in so many ways, that's what happens and is the root of toxic, unhealthy relationships. The root of it is someone's trying to gain control. Someone's trying to build their own agenda, their own power base, their own kingdom. And as we keep reading with time, Absalom becomes bolder and even becomes more overt. In verse 9, it says, so Absalom went to Hebron, but while he was there, he sent secret messengers to all the tribes of Israel to stir up a rebellion against the king. Soon many others also joined Absalom, and the conspiracy gained momentum. One of the words that popped off the page in this text was the secretiveness in which Absalom planned his conspiracy. A stark difference that I've seen between healthy and unhealthy friendships, marriages, and even churches is the difference between healthy transparency and unhealthy secrets. I truly believe that secrets are often at the core of toxic relationships. There's much truth in the following statement shared in many 12-step programs. You're only as sick as your secrets. You're only as sick as your secrets. As one writer accurately described, one of the hallmarks of alcoholism or of any addiction really is deception. Addicts deceive others to cover up their addiction and themselves to deny that they have one. Which may explain why most of the sober alcoholics I know are so rigorously honest. I like that. Rigorously honest. Any return to the habit of deception, they believe, risks reopening the door to drinking. Possibly, if you're in an unhealthy, toxic relationship, the very first step for you is to come out of the shadows and to resolve that you aren't going to live a lie any longer, that you aren't going to be controlled by unhealthy, sick secrets, that you're going to seek help from the Lord and from others so that you can have safety and health. If, if I, I hope that's true for you. If so, then I'm, I'm going to, you know, the truth of it is I can't wave a, a magic wand over you this weekend up here on stage and, and just bring you into happily ever after land. Or I can't just say a few words and you say one quick prayer and everything's going to be hunky-dory. Sometimes you have to go through the pain of bringing the secret out into the open and seeking help. Don't resolve just to, to, to silently be a martyr and stay in silent misery. You see, the Lord has a better plan. The Lord, who is near the brokenhearted, wants to bring healing into your life. He wants you to seek a safe haven where you can find help, where you can have healthy relationships. It won't be easy, but it'll be worth it. Remember, with God's intervention and God's healing, which we'll talk about more next week, we can find true help and true healing. As we wrap up 2 Samuel 18, we read this summary of Absalom. During his lifetime, Absalom had built a monument to himself in the king's valley. See, he was trying to build it for himself. 
He named the monument after himself. And it is known as Absalom's monument to this day. Now, after Absalom is killed in battle, I want you to look at David's heart, which is just really commendable. The king was overcome with emotion. He went up to the room over the gateway and burst into tears. And as he went, he cried, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. What amazes me about David is both with the raging madman Saul or the backstabber Absalom, he refused to become resentful or bitter. He refused to stoop to the level of the person that was unhealthy around him. He refused to overcome evil with evil. Instead, he, like the one who would later be called the son of David, continued to look to God the Father for strength and for help. He continued, David continued to be a person after God's own heart. See, God brought real healing and real help into David's life. And God wants to bring real health and real healing into your life. As we close up our message today and as we enter into time of communion, let's be challenged by David's example. And let's realize that, yes, he is an example worth following in so many ways, and imitating. And yet, let's realize that he was simply a human ancestor of the one that would follow after him, the one that many times would be called the son of David, the one that was willing to enter our toxic world and yet not be tainted by it, the one who would bring true healing, the one that would later be described by one of his followers in this way in 1 Peter 2, verse 20 and 21, to this you recall, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Maybe today's message stirred up some stuff in your heart. Maybe there's some relationships in your life that are pretty unhealthy. Maybe you've just been enduring it. Maybe you've been thinking it was your fault. Maybe you have a responsibility to look at, but maybe the other person's really unhealthy. Let's realize Jesus was around a bunch of unhealthy people. And yet he didn't retaliate. He didn't sin. He would sometimes just remain silent. Sometimes he would remove himself from the situation and have a, have a safe place to be with the Father. 
And yet I, I love that Jesus didn't overcome evil with evil. He continued to entrust himself to the only one that could give him strength and help. During this time of communion, if you feel like there's some wounds in your life, I want to urge you to, to lay those before the Lord during this time of communion. Seek the healing that he can bring into your life. Ask him to lead you to safe waters. And recognize during this time of communion that yes, the God we worship is truly near the brokenhearted. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you for these stories in the Bible. Some of them happened as this one did 3,000 years ago. And yet as we see these relationships unfold, as we see the tension, as we see the, the problems, Father, we can relate to them. We marvel at how David protected his heart, how he didn't try to overcome evil with evil, but he kept entrusting himself to you. We see that in the one that followed after him, our Savior. Help us during this time of communion bring our wounded hearts, our hurts, our pains. Help us lay them before you and before your throne. And we pray, Father, that we will focus our eyes and our hearts on the one that brings healing. The one that, as we take the bread, we're reminded he lived, he entered this toxic world, but he wasn't tainted. As he shed his blood, as we take the cup, remind us of the love and the sacrifice that brings healing for our hearts and lives. We pray, Father, this truly will be time that we will sense your healing touch during this time of communion. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Southwest Church Teaching Ministries. We are a community of people committed to following Jesus and making disciples. Please join us for one of our three weekly gatherings, Saturdays at 5.30 p.m., Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and 11.15 a.m.